to Merchant is brought to you by Something Digital, a Magento Enterprise and Shopify Plus partner. Something Digital is an award-winning digital agency that will put your e-commerce site to work. Visit them online today at somethingdigital.com slash podcast. Welcome to Merchant to Merchant, a podcast by merchants and for merchants. I'm Philip Jackson, and we are live here in Atlanta at Citizen Supply, and we have a live studio audience. Can you guys make some noise? <laughs> we have an amazing uh, panel of merchants, and I couldn't be more excited than I am right now, so I'll go ahead and kick us off and introduce them uh, one by one. Uh, this is Stephen from King, King of Pops. My name is Stephen Karst. Um, I'm the co-founder of King of Pops uh, with my brother, Nick. Uh, King of Pops is basically a handcrafted popsicle company. Uh, we started in 2010 and have gotten involved in all kinds of fun stuff since then, both including pops and not pops, everything from Christmas trees to compost um, to yoga events. So we've tried to kind of keep things interesting as we've gone along through the years. And we're also in uh, six different cities throughout the South. So, uh, awesome. Thank you. And uh, Aaron. Hello. So Worth Loving. Hi. Yes, I'm Erin Eddy. I'm the founder of So Worth Loving. We're a lifestyle company. We promote self-worth and self-love. We use apparel to bridge the gap between not talking about self-worth and talking about it. Um, we've been around for a little over seven years, and uh, it started off as a passion project. And then next thing you know, I had to learn how to own a business and figure it out. And yeah, we sell to 50 states and 30 countries, and I, I, no, I've never had a five-year plan. Every year it changes. <laughs> Isn't that true? All right, welcome, Aaron. And uh, Chuck from Bitter Southerner. Hi, I'm Chuck Reese, and I'm the co-founder, I'm a co-founder and the editor-in-chief of an online magazine called The Bitter Southerner, which any of you listening can read at bittersouthener.com. Uh, we got bitter about five years ago because every magazine... <laughs> that we saw about the South was filled with either really well-dressed white people at a garden party <laughs> or uh, the Robertson brothers from Duck Dynasty. And all y'all are Southerners and none of y'all look like that to me. So we figured you needed a publication and that's what we did. Great, welcome. And uh, thanks to all of you for being on our panel here tonight. You know, one of the, the common thread, and I'm not gonna take any sort of credit for this. Uh, when we were all speaking prior to the show, and I was trying to think about how do you take uh, a company that makes popsicles, a company that's bitter in the South, uh, that has a, a great journalistic publication, and another one that's sort of preaching self-love and acceptance, and how do you find a common thread across all three of them? And uh, I sort of, I put that out there to, to Chuck a little bit ago, and he said, the, the one common thing that all of them are doing is they're trying to pr promote community and they're trying to build community around where they are and I thought that, that would be a great place for us to start here tonight. So I have to ask, how does a popsicle company create community? Shooey dooey. Um, <laughs> so it's, first of all it's easy, one thing that is really amazing, if you've been to Latin America you've oftentimes seen the, the paleta cart or the little push carts that people are selling different products through. and. One of the big differences between an experience selling um, in a typical like brick and mortar store and that experience is that you're, you're kind of standing right next to the person instead of behind a counter. Um, and so 
when we did that from day one, um, I think that's, that's kind of how it started. The, the people that were selling the pops were kind of standing next to the people they were selling them to. They were talking about the flavors or what concert they were going on that night instead of just uh, having a transaction. And I think it grew from there. So um, what started out as like an employee yoga event, um, because we couldn't afford like a health plan, now has like five <laughs> or 600 people at it. And uh, we, we, have a, we have a run club and we have a trivia and we have all the karaoke and all these things that people just within our company love to do. And they're really encouraged to, to do those things. Um, and if it is something they're excited about um, and they're able to, to do that at work, um, it kind of, it, it amplifies their passions, but also builds our company. So that, that's what we try to do. That's really interesting. And I, I'm I can only imagine, I can only imagine, Chuck, that when you, when you have sort of a, a bitter bent to anything online that you create instant community. Uh. Well, it, it, it was more instant than we thought it would be. Uh, I mean, we, we, some of you in here might know this story, but, you know, we started uh, five years ago with, with this idea that I told you about earlier, but we we had no money, like zero. And, uh, but we had this idea that we wanted to do these big, grand, long-form feature stories about these topics and, and people in the South that we wanted to cover. So uh, we managed to con enough journalists and photographer friends to help us <laughs> into getting about six stories into the can before we started. And then, uh, all these writers and photographers with great ideas came out of the woodwork and we published 52 of those stories in a row for our first year once a week uh, without ever paying a thought photographer or a writer or dime, a dime. And it was zero expenditure, zero revenue. And by the end of the year it was like, it's evident that people want us to keep doing this but we can't keep doing it for free. And so we were like, well, what could we do to make some money? And we're like, well, maybe we could make some T-shirts and sell. Mm -hmm. And our creative director, Dave Whitling, designed a T-shirt that said, I'm, I'm a bitter southerner. We sold them. We put them online one morning. We had 50 of them because that's all we could afford. And uh, they sold out in 40 minutes. And then we bought 100, and they sold out in 90 minutes. And we're like, I guess we're in the t-shirt business too. <laughs> and, and that's how we, you know, I, I, I sat on a panel at the Grady College of Journalism at the University of Georgia about a month ago that I never expected to be the editor of a journalistic organization that's supported primarily through the sale of t-shirts and dish towels. <laughs> uh, but that's where we are and damned if it isn't working. Now, Aaron, I. In, in talking before, I get the sense that you started with a tremendous amount of venture capital backing. <laughs> yes. No, it's no. quite the opposite. Right? Quite the opposite. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about how uh, So Worth Loving came about and the story there. Because um, you, you have a similar mm -hmm. sort of following of people that want to self-identify by wearing a t-shirt, but it's in a different way. Yes, I completely identify with your story. Um, when So Worth Loving started, I was an art director art director by day, but a musician by night, because music wasn't paying my bills, but I loved it. And um, 
I had a music video that went viral, which is really embarrassing, and I've contemplated deleting it <laughs> now. Um, what but, do I search for? <laughs> I won't tell you. <laughs> um, but when it went viral, uh, I just saw so much love and hate instantly. I saw people that loved what I was doing, and I saw people that hated what I was doing. And I was just honored that people even wanted to listen to my music. And so in the process of seeing people hate and just lash out, I thought there's a lot of hurting people in the world. So I want to love on people. And I put my home address on my blog, and I said, mail me your personal T-shirt, and I will spray paint that you're worth loving for free. And I did that for eight months. It was just a passion project to just love on people and just see. I thought that I'd receive like three shirts and all of them would be my mom and like my friend. And then I saw this need of people wanting to carry this message with them because somewhere in their life, whether it was hardship, a divorce, um, anxiety, depression, whatever it may be, they felt unworthy of love and they wanted to carry this message with them. But they were worthy of love because they don't believe it right now. And so I did that for eight months and realized that's not sustainable. <laughs> All my money was going to it. And I would duct tape cardboard stencils and fabric spray paint from a craft store. <laughs> and I had shirts just strung all over my living room and towels for the overspray. And then I realized, this is, this is I need to probably maybe screen print a t-shirt, but I don't even know how to do that. And will someone buy it? And I, same thing. like I. When I first bought inventory, I bought five smalls, six mediums, five larges, and then it just went from there. Well, this, is, this brings up a really interesting point, because I, I think that um, the bootstrapped business is, is like a really interesting, especially when like, you didn't set out to create, you know, to create a, to be a retailer. You didn't, you didn't start out that way. The idea was that you have a message you want to bring out to the world. But I have to, I have to, it has to be a little bit more complex when you're, you know, when you're sourcing peaches from a local farm to put into a popsicle. Like, you have to be a little more thoughtful about how you get your supply in and like how you create your product. And so I have to believe that you didn't just start making popsicles in your freezer. Or am I wrong, Steve? <laughs> it's where you start, but it's not where you, it's not what you sell to people. So uh, <laughs> we're actually right across the street-ish from where I was living at the time, and uh, yeah, like the little medicine cups, um, fill those with different flavors, and then it was the middle of December, just trying to get your friends to, to taste them and say, sweeter, not as sweet. Uh, and then once, yeah, once you want to bring it to market, you go get, we went and got a, a shared kitchen, kind of pay by the hour, and you're legit at that and, point. And you come from a long line of popsicle makers, like generational popsicle makers. <laughs> yeah. Where you're entirely sort of self-educated there. We made a lot of smoothies growing up, so I, I don't think I was learning some combos back then. But uh, <laughs> other than that, yeah, pretty much figured it out as we went along and had like, I mean, a lot of great inspiration as far as flavors from restaurants and uh, bartenders here in the city, but also just traveling. Like, you can make a popsicle that tastes like so many different things and represents so many different uh, flavors. So it's just, it's a pretty open palette. See, I want to say something about King of Pops, too, right. because, you know, we were talking about the way they build community and it's authentic. It's like when they, they how long ago was it y'all started? Eight years. Eight years ago. When 
Eight years ago, I was living about a mile and a half, go up to Highland, make a right, and from where we're sitting right now to all you people who are listening. Uh, and King of Pops at that time was one dude with a cart under an umbrella at, across the street from Manuel's Tavern at the corner of Highland and North Avenue. And at first we drove by there, it was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then it was like, okay, I'm gonna stop and get one. And then it was like, every day I'm gonna stop and get one. <laughs> and, you know, the thing about it was, was that it, all the community-oriented stuff that he described that, that they do to us who are consumers of what they do, who live in their hometown at least, it feels completely authentic because they, they didn't start a business and then try to become community the people. Business, they right. were already, they were That's always they were. of the community. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think you, that, that brings up a good point here. It's not like you go to kingofpops.com. I don't know if that's a safe URL. Is that, is that a safe URL? We got it. Okay, finally. all right, well, thank God. Um, but if you go, to, you go to kingofpops.com, it's not like your only venture is to try to sell popsicles in bulk through the internet. It requires people to leave their home to go seek you out. So you, you were telling me early on you sort of created a following on social. Tell, yeah. me, tell me, like, was that intentional? Um, I think it was... It was just different, but I mean, yeah, it was intentional, it, it, and we didn't, we, we knew we were not, like, we were running out of product, so it was a good way to tell people where we were going to be, and we kind of didn't know where we were going to be one to two days into the future, um, and it was also, like, in 2010, telling people where you were on Twitter was novel, and people were excited about the idea of, like, right. whoa, I can use this thing for something, because they're used to just kind of like looking at stuff, and they're like, oh, this says something that I can do. Um, and so people were excited about that for the first couple of years, and, and, and now, as we all know, social media has kind of changed to more of a, uh, you tell, you're telling a much larger story and less about if you just try to sell people for $3, you can get this flavor popsicle at this location, right. people are going to stop looking at that. So it's not about just customer education anymore or information. It's about how they connect to you and identify with you as a brand. Yeah. How do you do with that with uh, screen print t-shirts? Is, is it about like expressing it in a way where it's something that people, it's like personal, it's something people put on themselves. Yeah. Right. So they carry you with them wherever they go. Right. Yeah. So the way, the way we look at it, so worth loving is a lifestyle and a way of thinking. If you view yourself through the lens of knowing that you are worthy of love, the decisions that you make are different. And so what I've noticed was so worth loving is sharing other people's stories is way more powerful and in and, and our mission than t-shirts. T-shirts is secondary to what we do. We are a supportive role into encouraging people to live a happier, healthier life, whether that's encouraging certain books to read, um, sharing other people's stories on our blog that they can identify with, that, that can kind of help them through that season of life. That's the primary. And then the apparel is just kind of that, that bridge. And so like for social media, we, we use it mainly for inspiration versus information. And, and do you feel like people, I, so Chuck just told the story that people supported the brand after being engaged with it for some time. So you feel like you're, the way that your customers, they're not really customers, they're 
Family. They're family. They're people who are sharing something personal about themselves and they're engaging in community. Yeah. And, and the, the commerce side of it is secondary in that it's supportive of this other thing that they're getting that's not tangible. Right, right. So one of the reasons I started screen printing I, uh, or, you know, stocking shirts instead of spray painting them, other than that it wasn't sustainable, but the other one was people were asking me, I don't want to do the footwork of you spray painting a shirt I want to buy it for my friend that's going through rehab right now. Mm -hmm. um, I want to buy it for a girlfriend that just went through a divorce. I want to buy it for my friend that can't get out of bed because they suffer from depression. That's, that's where we saw apparel being used the most. This is not even like that, wow, that's really powerful. It's not even just self-expression. It's about gifting that message into someone else's life. Yes, that's the majority of our customers too. It's, it's gifts. Um, it's gifts for somebody in their, in their life. Chuck, do you feel like that people connect in that way to the journalism side of, of Bitter Southerner and that you're expressing something they couldn't otherwise say themselves? I definitely think that, you know, and it's funny listening to Aaron talk and to Mr. Karf's talk, we're like, we're all kind of in the business of making people not feel so alone. Yeah. You know? Uh, because there's that little crowd that's talking to each other around the King of Pops cart. You know, there are the people who have these stories who need to know that they're worth loving. And, you know, there are people in the South who want to feel proud of living in this place, despite the fact that this region has the most difficult, twisted history of any in the country. Right. You know, and you know, there are a lot of young people in the South who want to be proud of where they're from, but they don't like the thing that happens when they move to New York City yeah. and people go, I'm not going to hire you because you sound like an idiot. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, if you look at our e-commerce statistics, uh, I never talk about this publicly, but I'm going to right now because it's important. Uh, Please don't Our number one, if you rank the markets for our products, by uh, metro area. Number one is Atlanta, number two is Nashville, and number three is always New York City. Wow. And it's because of all the displaced Southerners who are in New York City. I was one for seven years myself, you know? And they like the fact that we, you know, like we started putting out T-shirts that said things that were familiar to them at home. like. You know, one time we put out a pair of T-shirts and one said, hug more necks, and the other one said, drink more whiskey, <laughs> which are, you know, two essential components of things that are good in the South. You know, we like to hug one another, and some of us like whiskey. Uh, and, you know, for Mother's Day, we put out one that said, my heroes have always been mamas. And, you know, it, it allows... It allows people to express a little bit of their regional pride, mm -hmm. and it doesn't come with the standard rebel flag that Southern right. regional pride used to come with. In fact, it comes with journalism, you know, that has absolutely no tolerance for that old kind of story about the South. podcast is brought to you by Something Digital. Something Digital is a full-service e-commerce agency specializing in strategy, design, digital marketing, and more. 
Something Digital has award-winning creative design and world-class engineers that can deliver any size project from concept to launch. Something Digital is a Magento Enterprise and Shopify Plus partner. Put your e-commerce site to work with Something Digital. Check them out today at somethingdigital.com slash podcast. Let's get into that a little bit. and I, Maybe it's a little personal, but Aaron mentioned this. Whenever you put something out into the world, you're going to have people that love you and people that hate you. What, what, what do you, th- I mean, I don't want to focus on the negativity at all, but what, what's your message to the people that don't like your message? How do you, how do you combat that and how do you turn that back into something positive and how do you stay positive and rise above it? What's been one of the most pleasant surprises about this whole experience for me and my co-founders is that we don't have to do that the audience does it. Mm. They do it in social media. You know, like, if we run a story that, that rubs up against a difficult political issue in the South, that rubs up, you know, anything that's going to bring out, you know, the troglodytes and trolls to say, you know, screw you and your Yankee agenda, you know, that kind <laughs> of thing. Uh, like, our readers just swarm on in Twitter and Facebook and, you know, and all over the place. They'll start posting by Felicia gifts, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's how it generally goes down. And, and you know, every now and then, we, we, we kind of joke about it. We, you know, every now and then we got to do a story that kind of offends the herd a little bit. <laughs> so, so you have an engaged community that's self-policing and because it's, it's creating its own community, it's sustaining itself, uh, it doesn't rely on just you. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It you relies, couldn't do it on your own anyway. No. Well, no. I mean, we've got hundreds of writers and photographers and artists who've contributed to the thing over the last five years. And, you know, it's been a joy. You know, we've had veteran journalists who, uh, you know, get paid really well by big magazines that you've heard of who will write for us for cheap because they know we will get their story in front of an audience that will get it more. Mm. So. Hmm. Well, Stephen, speaking of not being able to do it by yourself, I'm, you operated a scale today that is beyond the little cups of uh, taste tests, right? Sure, you're, yeah. You're in. <laughs> we think so. Right? And thank God, right? Like, <laughs> when, so when you're getting, when you're putting your product in Whole Foods and you're putting, like, what, how do you sort of guide your business so that you don't sort of lose sight of what originally made it exciting? And like, as you scale your business, how do you not lose your soul in oh, the process? Man. I don't know. I mean, I think you have to kind of figure out where your soul's at and uh, check in on it every once in a while. Because I think as you're going along, you're, you're gonna, every, every opportunity to grow is going to be a, at the expense of, of something. So we were talking earlier, a lot of the farmers that we dealt with in year one and two, um, we now we need supplier verifications and we need uh, larger quantities than they can really grow or are interested in growing. They don't really aspire to grow stuff just to sell it to us, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> so all those challenges, just, just you, have to, you have to be thinking of new solutions all the time. and, and Doing the best you can, I mean, is really all you can do, right? 
Yeah, do, do what you can with what you got where you are, right? That's, that's what it comes down to. How do you, how do you balance sort of the, the need to grow to sustain your business with the sort of still being, having the, the, uh, the social good message coming out? Like, Aaron, that's got to be a challenge. How do you grow your business and keep your business alive and afloat but also not do that in sort of a way that would, you know, would be antithetical to your beliefs and what's made you successful so far? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think, I think it comes down to your team and, and who you set out, you know, to hire and your core values and making sure that you have people in place that holds you up to those. When they see you running into a brick wall, they can help you stop running into a brick wall. For me, I, I had to surround myself with, um, you know, mentors that I would meet with once a month and I would be honest with them and they would check me and they would say, you know, if, I, if it was a selfish decision or out of my character of who they know I, I am to be, they would ask me and challenge me in those questions. I also think that failure realigns you um, to get back to your, the purpose of why you started to. Mm. Um, for me, there's you know, been hiccups and failures all the time. And that gives me an opportunity to recheck myself and recheck what we're doing and making sure that you know, we continue to be sustainable in an ethical way. Wow. Steven, is there anywhere that you've like, dropped the ball like any, any, have you, you feel like, is there anywhere that you... Any failures ever? Any, any failures. At all? But, no, is there anything that you feel like was, was uh, a swing and a miss that, you know, you, was a, like a learn it, like a real teachable moment for you? Uh, so we, we, we did the, we do tree elves in the winter. In I'm order, sorry, you're going to have to explain what yeah, that is. Yeah, so we, no we, deliver, we deliver Christmas trees um, okay. in elf outfits every winter. Um, in order, people are the popsicle demand, believe it or not, goes down during that month. And um, <laughs> so we, we decided to start delivering uh, Christmas trees. In the first couple years we did it, we did live potted Christmas trees, um, which seemed like a great idea and was selling off the racks. Like, talk about e-commerce, just start selling live Christmas trees and people will buy it. But the logistics around it was an issue. Um, they're very heavy. <laughs> And in addition to that, um, there was kind of like there's some pest issues. So uh, we were we had some we had some not so enthusiastic calls of, of us ruining Christmas for for different families. And I always kind of come back to that as a story for myself that uh, if I'm having a bad day or whatever, it's like well, we. Matt is actually here in the audience. He would always kind of remind us it's only popsicles. So, if, if what's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, It'll melt. It, yeah, at least, at least we're not uh, ruining someone's Christmas. So, <laughs> um, we've we've since turned it around, and, that, and that's a, that's a really fun business now that is doing really well. Um, How did you solve that? Just by way of yeah, I mean, I guess it's a good it's a good kind of gut soul check. So we 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 had this like sustainable model that we were gonna have potted Christmas trees and we were going to plant them out at our farm and then uh, dig them back up each year and deliver them. Uh, obviously it wasn't working for a couple of the aforementioned reasons 
And so we went on to uh, cut trees, and everything's great. Uh, people, people really like them. Razor first. Turns out, when people do things a certain way, there's a reason behind it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's... You ever had a really good idea, Chuck, that just didn't pull out, didn't pan out in the process? Uh, yeah, but not since my days in the corporate world. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, my, our thing's weird, you know? Uh, and it was weird for me. I mean, I, I, I'm 57 now. And we started this when I was 52. And I told somebody that I felt like I decided, like you would in college, like, I'm going to join this band and you just got in the van and left, you know? Uh, like, I had worked, I started in journalism, then worked in politics for a while, then worked in corporate communication, and I found it very soul-crushing after I hit age 50. And I, this had always been an itch I wanted to scratch, and, you know, once I tried it, I, I knew we had to figure out a way for me to keep doing it because it was the only time uh, that I'd ever woken up in the morning uh, to get to work every day feeling like, you know, I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do. Mm. So, you know, it's, it, it is a labor of love, uh, but it's, you know, we do have, we have bad ideas all the time, man. We, we, we've done, after we had, have you ever had a tomato sandwich, Philip? Yeah. Okay. You like them? I wouldn't say I go seeking out tomato sandwiches, but I, 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 well, I, will, I would eat a tomato sandwich. Well, we put out a t-shirt last spring when tomato season was about to come around. This red shirt says mayo and tomato. <laughs> and it was a huge hit. It was like every southerner who had ever eaten a tomato sandwich over a kitchen sink <laughs> uh, needed one of them. And I was like, well, you know, the weird sandwich that I ate when I was a kid was a banana sandwich. Two slices of white bread, mayonnaise, and banana. I swear to God, if you put a little salt and pepper on it, it's pretty amazing. But we did a yellow mayo and banana shirt, and that was a bad idea. <laughs> uh, the, the, we, I, I, I think I got one. We, we sold out of maybe 50 of them, but it was kind of sluggish, and so we quit, you know. But I discovered that the biggest banana sandwich lovers were uh, me and my buddy Patterson's eight-year-old son. And we had to make sure Emmett got an extra small because he ate a banana sandwich for lunch every single day. Wow. When I asked that question, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I didn't expect it going there. Um, Welcome to Atlanta. <laughs> uh, I. I'm going to make the assumption that because uh, thanks to our wonderful sponsor, MailChimp, who made all this possible, let's give him a hand, um, including the introduction of each and every one of you, I, I assume you all use MailChimp in some way. Yeah. But without, without shilling too hard, I have to, I have to figure out, like, how, how are you approaching sending emails to people, and what are you using specifically in, in email? Like, what... How are you approaching that to connect with people in a way that you couldn't connect with them otherwise? Uh, Aaron, let's start with you. Um, so I, I, I do use MailChimp. I've used it since we started. I used Shopify, and then I integrated MailChimp into Shopify. Um, I do it a few different ways. 
Um, if you're a new customer, you get 10% off if you subscribe to our newsletter when you first go to the website, soworthloving.com. Uh, another way that I, I love to do it is by writing encouragement or a letter to the community. It's a way for me to, to reach our community directly versus hoping that they see it through their feed as they look amongst other um, people on social media. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put all my eggs in the basket of social media at all. Um, it it's changes constantly, but uh, emails seem to always stick around. and so. We use it to communicate to our customers, whether it's sales, but honestly, we use it more so to send encouragement and uh, tell a story or perspectives or thoughts. And we get we get a lot of responses back from people, which is really, really cool to see people reply and be like, oh my gosh, this was my week and I needed this and this is what I'm going through. And just to even get that reply is awesome because it's like, oh, someone's listening when you put it out there. So yeah, that's how we use it. Well, MailChimp's a really important tool for us and always has been. Uh, when we started, uh, I remember like the four of us sitting around one person's laptop going, okay, how do we get this MailChimp thing set up? <laughs> and so we got it set up and, you know, we all subscribed from our four different email addresses. So we had four subscribers on our list and that was us. And we, we launched with a, a piece that I wrote called Why We're Bitter. We, we decided to kind of start with a manifesto uh, of sorts. And uh, I remember being so happy, man. By the end of that, by Saturday of that week, five days later, we had 2,000 people on our list. And it's been growing ever since. And uh, I think there's some people on our list who think it's just a newsletter that comes out. Mm. We'll show them, you know, because our photography is beautiful and we try to write the newsletter as well as we write the stories. And I've had people say that to me and I was like, no, ma'am, you need to click on it and you can read the whole story. But no, it's, it's a, you know, we do, we do, uh, we publish three times a week, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, different kinds of stories every day. And uh, we send one out Tuesday morning to debut the week's big feature story. And then we send out another one on Friday that is more focused toward uh, e-commerce driving business and what we call the Bitter Southerner General Store, which is the e-commerce part of the site. And, uh, and, and we do a recap at the bottom of the three stories we've run for the week. And it's, it seems to be a pretty effective rotation for us. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. So, so you're, you're sending with high frequency, and do you feel like that's, was, was that, were you ever at this point where you thought that you would be driving people away by touching them more frequently? Or, or did, were your customers asking you for it? Were they asking to be engaged more frequently? I, I'm curious how you approach that. I mean, I, I, how, how often do y'all send out things to an email? One, we do once a week, but ours is we have a presence in like in the community on carts mainly. Sorry, and uh, so our idea is to try to take that same thing to the to the digital world. So instead of it, be, kind of becomes every event you expect to see a King of Pops cart. Then why can't we start to explain to people here are the events that are going around in the city? Um, but once a week is is all we do, and it, it's just hard to find. I mean, for us, like making content full time is not a top five priority so and, and in order to put out a really good newsletter it's 
it's a lot of work yeah, for a lot is. of people. Yeah. If only there were a tool to help you make that even better. <laughs> Mailchimp. It's beautiful. It's the words haven't written themselves. Mailchimp. Uh, we do it. We well, so it's different. We have different touches for how people receive newsletters. If you order for the, if you order anything on our website, you receive an, an, an email immediately that says dance party, and it's like a little video of us <laughs> dancing, <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh, we're so excited. And then you get when the order ships, you get an email of confetti blowing in the air, like gold tinsel. So you get those emails in addition to if we do anything promotional. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on if you're buying if, and if it's shipping. And, but we, on a regular, like the ones that we prepare, it's like once a week. Um, one time we did, this was really fun. One time we reached like 50,000 followers on Instagram. We were so excited. We wanted to celebrate everybody online. So we said, we're gonna give away something for free to 50,000 of y'all. And, and it was gonna be like this big fun thing. And so we ended up doing some giveaways and stuff online that were digital downloads. And, but people had to go and subscribe in order to receive the giveaway. And that was just really cool. There was so much energy around subscribing and then receiving and then posting about it. Yeah. And people were excited. I think people just want more of what they like and what makes them feel good. And if you're not that, then they don't want it. Well, and it just sheds. I mean, you can, I mean, for, for us and probably for y'all too, since y'all do it three times a week. No, or, two. Oh, two times two. a week. So two times a week, you get to sift out the people that aren't going to be your fans anyways. And so that makes the ones that are excited They're even more so. They're not your community anyway. They're yeah. not your customer. Yeah, right? go ahead They're, and shed right. them and let them move on to someone else. Yeah, and one of the, you know, I mean, it, and it's interesting because I've begun to wonder, and I, I told you this earlier today that, you know, I've seen two tweets over the last month or so. One that said, Bitter South, come for the t-shirts, stay for the stories. And the other one said, Bitter South, come for the stories, stay for the t-shirts. And I don't know which way it really flows with everybody. And it, it kind of doesn't matter as, as long as we keep getting to tell the story. There's a story in there in that people engage with you and with your brand differently. Everybody brings their own story to how they approach you. And that, that's kind of not to wax poetic about email, although Lord knows I could probably get all emotional about email. I, I love that email is, is actually, it's fundamentally different and it breaks the mold. Uh, while it's an older technology, it breaks the mold in the way that we engage, especially in commerce. Because when you think of the old style of doing commerce, it means that people had to like pack up the kids in the car and go to a store and make a concerted effort to actually buy something. Whereas the new way of doing commerce in 2018 and beyond is commerce is wherever you are, it's in your pocket. If in any other context that I'm in, I can engage in commerce. And that's really what email is too. Email is the things that I love the most, the things that I care about can come to me and be waiting for me in my pocket whenever I want to go. I don't have to seek them out. They're there already. And I think that that's why it works so well with retail. And that's why it works so well in journalism. And that's why it works so well uh, in, in, in any context. And in fact, that's, that's the story of King of Pops, is that people don't have to go to the Popsicle store. You are out where the people are. And I think that's really the differentiator there, is, is it's finding that people 
will make space in their life for you if they care about you and it resonates with something that's personal to them. Uh, that feels like a really good place to end it. I'll give you guys the final word. Uh, Steven. Final word? Yeah. Oh, where man. can people find you online? Yeah, kingofpops.com is where to find us online, and you can find us on social media, King of Pops as well. Um, look for us around town if you're in the south. We go to a bunch of festivals throughout, uh, big music festivals around the country, so maybe you'll see us there as well. And if not, that's all right. Erin, <laughs> <laughs> where can people find you? You can find us at SoWorthLoving.com and then SoWorthLoving on all social media. And we are at BitterSoutherner.com. On Twitter, we're BitterSouth, uh, because it can't be that long. And uh, we are BitterSoutherner on Instagram and the BitterSoutherner on Facebook. Follow us on any of those. And I'm sure if you type Bitter Southerner into anything, it's like your picture that pops up. It's the, uh, uh, no, I love it. No, thank you so much. Uh, what an incredible panel uh, to have here. What an incredible audience. Thank you all for wow. joining us. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And uh, we want to make sure that you never miss an episode of Merchant to Merchant. The best way to do that is to head on over and subscribe at podcast.somethingdigital.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, uh, Spotify or anywhere else podcasts are found or from any smart speaker device with the phrase play Merchant to Merchant podcast and that's it. Uh, thank you to Citizen Supply for having us. Thank you to MailChimp for putting this together and we'll see you in the next episode of Merchant to Merchant. Thank you. Woo!